your tent, I'll creep. <laughs> the stars above will shine and light our way to love. I'm creeping into your tent right now. <laughs> and that baby I brought by Kazoo. Yeah. Oh, you mean we're on the air? <laughs> oh, uh, hello, one, two, three, four. Uh, and now here's the star of our show. Uh, 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 oh, hell, I forgot his name. Uh, he just, just, you just can't, uh, just, you just can't resist the fantastic charisma, though. So here he is, the star of our show. Damn it, it's not a tip Enough of that, George. Come on, quick. Into the first one fast. I don't think we should mess around with the mail. Substitute for talent. Thank God. Uh, George, would you please uh, flip that over there, please, if you will, friend? Uh, one, two, three, four. Five, four, two, five, blue. La da dee 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 dee. Ha da 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 dee 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 dee. La da 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 dee. Yes, of course, I know that. La da dee da da dee 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 dee. By the way, for those of you who are lovers of beauty, and I uh, can guarantee that you are a qualified art student. We'd be glad to send you some additional lyrics to that tune. And due to the fact that there are women and children up at this time, we cannot sing them on the radio, but they are guaranteed to get your next party off a wing side. You know, you get up on the coffee table and start yelling them lyrics out, and they'll know you're there. 
Hey, look, we got a we got a uh, a commercial here for a camping show. How about that? If you love the outdoors, don't miss the fifth annual Jersey Coast Trailer and Camping Show. They feature a whole new line of uh, beautiful little outdoor johns with moons cutting the side there, all transistorized and beautiful decorator shades. A spectacular event for the whole family. And this year, they're featuring 32 trailer exhibits plus 30 other exhibitors, which we do not mention. They're just great, though. The most complete display of camping and recreation vehicles in New Jersey. It's on now through Monday at Convention Hall in Asbury Park, better known to most Jerseyites as Raspberry Park. Treat your family to a day packed with the excitement of the old, great old outdoors. You remember the outdoors? Oh, sure, they were so great. Remember back in those days when we had them? Admission for adults is $1.75 and children only six bits. That's the trailer and camping show on now at Convention Hall in Asbury Park. There. All right, George, we did it, didn't we? Now, uh, before we uh, get deeply involved in the philosophy of tonight's program, which deals, by the way, with the deep philosophy of tonight's program, uh, we, uh, I, I just like to, since it is now the end of the week, I like to clear a little of the... Uh, well, I just, uh, for want of a better phrase, I like to shift the ashes around down there in the old hopper, right? Get the old great clanking. You want, you want me singing again, George? You like my singing, don't you? You do. All right, George. I ain't fine. Right. Hit it, man. Hit it big. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you bring it out strong, Dad. <laughs> oh, bear missed the train. Yeah. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. And now he's walking. Woo-hoo. Yeah. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. And now he's walking. He's walking there. He's walking far and near. get the worst of you, you just got to get rid of them. You just got to blow them out the stack. She, I don't care whether you like it or not, madam. There's a time when I got to sing to bear Mr. Train for my own soul, and I don't give a damn about your soul. 
I don't care what you do for yours. I'm going to do it for mine. And I may just do it again tonight. And again and again. There, Mr. Train. There, Mr. Train. Hey, I got a, I got a great flyer in the mail, you know. For those of you who are interested in the decline of the Western civilization that we're living in, I got a great, uh, I got a great uh, flyer in the air, you know, the, the junk mail. And, uh, and you know, uh, the newest thing today in vacation is the cruise, you know, the, the specialty cruise. I mean, guys don't just get on a boat anymore and just go riding around Haiti and places like that. You know, get off and buy those bad ukuleles and stuff. What they do now is they have a specialty cruise, like a nostalgia cruise, you know, or, or a cruise for people who are fans of Blue Baron. Uh, you know, that's the special types of cruise, see. Well, I got a fantastic cruise offer for a, a Lovers of Decadence cruise. It's a cruise for, you know, decadent people. And they have these pornographic films on the poop deck every night. And, uh, you know, it's kind of great. And they take you over to Pompeii, and you can see all the obscene parts of Pompeii. It's a, it's a porny cruise, actually, is what it is. And uh, it's being, uh, it's being uh, hosted by several famous stars of some pornographic films, which have been absolute smash sensations along the Rialto of 42nd Street. You know, you, well, in particular, one guy, you know, the guy who wears them black socks with a big black mustache? And he's seen often in the, in the films. He wears these socks and he has a big mustache and he wears a black derby sometimes. He's on that film. And he's going to be on the cruise. And so, you know, I, I read this and I said, you know, things are moving great. And uh, I was thinking about going on that cruise. And, and I, hate to, I hate that when I find myself thinking these thoughts. Take these shades off so you, so you can see my twinkling eyes. I'll just turn them on you out there. But uh, I just said to myself, stop it, stop it, baby. You know, cut it out. You're, you're above and beyond that, please. But then I realized, no, I'm not above and beyond that. Not a bit of it. No way. You know, uh, make me an offer and I'll think about it. I may not accept it, but I'll think about it, which is the first step to hell and perdition. You agree, George? Hey, yes, of course, I knew you'd agree. You're one of the few people I've known, George, who's never fallen prey to temptation. You have resisted it all. And it's sad to see you, too. I mean, here you've resisted all of it, and, and my God, now you're beginning to regret it. Ain't that the truth? I wonder how many people out there all their lives resisted temptation, and one morning they woke up and they looked at the ceiling and says, what the hell for? And they come up with no answer. No answer. And then, of course, then it's downhill from that minute on. They go running out. They hit the street with their feet going, you know, in all directions, you know, yelling and hollering or drinking that Thunderbird wine and running around and pinching waitresses and God knows where it's going to last, you know, where it's going to end. It's just bad, bad, bad. I tell you, I see it happening. It happened to Wingate. I've seen it everywhere. Excuse me, I get carried away by that. You know, at, at a very early time in my life, I was heavily, well, I was traumatized at the age of six by a, uh, by a sawdust trail redneck evangelist. At the age of six, me and Schwartz and Bruner one time, down at the end of the street there, they, the guy set up this tent, you know, and it looked like an, a lot of action, people walking in there, you see, and it's free. And anything that's free, I, I never miss anything that's free. You lay anything on me that's free, and I'm going to go all the way with it. And uh, so anyway, I walk into the tent, me and Schwartz and Clay were about six years old, you know. And uh, we, you know, we squat down here on those wooden, they these wooden planks laid on, on sawhorses like the seats, you know. We sit down there in a the tent there, and all these people around us, 
And this guy come out. And uh, before he come out, there was a big, big, big fat lady there. She was playing the piano. And I remember she was playing and bringing in the sheaves. Well, I didn't know the tune at the time. You know, I was deep in my three itty pig stage. And, uh, you know, I didn't quite know the tune. But she was playing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. And, and people started to holler all around me, Amen! Amen! I didn't know what was going on, you know. I never knew who, you know, what that was all about. And then all of a sudden, this man comes striding out on that platform. I'll, I'll never forget it. He comes striding out on that platform. Great big wide steps. He's standing tall, man. He looked right down at, at the whole crowd. No, no, don't, don't. He looked down at the whole crowd, including me, including Schwartz, including Flick, including Bruner. He looked down at the whole crowd and he says, Everywhere I look tonight. And his eyes moved up and down. Row after row. His eyes had eyes like two searchlights, like blow torches. Moved up and down each row. Taking in each person in a, at a time. And then he sweeped them two eyes right across me and I could feel them boring into my head. And then he hit Schwartz and I see Schwartz sinking down lower in his seat. He says, everywhere I look tonight. I see tonight. I see sin and degradation. I see the devil. Reminds me, this is W.O.R. New York. Everywhere I look. Everywhere I look. And so I was influenced very early in my career by that particular man. Yeah, it was a traumatic thing. I never, you know, I, I never thought of myself as a, as a, as a vessel in which the message of the devil is carried. Did you ever think to yourself that way, George? Well, you're right, because you're not one of those bad people. You have ignored and you have rejected all, all sin, all temptation that's fantastic. Didn't make you very popular in the Marine Corps, but you did. You rejected it. All those three-day passes, everybody else went out and roistering and hollering around and yelling and rolling around in the bushes and screaming and throwing up all over their blouses and uniforms. And what were you doing? Sitting back there on your bunk reading the Reader's Digest. That's right. Thinking clean thoughts. Yeah, amen, amen, brother. Oh, excuse me, I get carried away. Would you please hit the money button, please? Please. It's a misty night. Walking along Cedar Street, hand in hand, are Andy and Betsy. Know what Andy's doing besides being nervous about how he can kiss Betsy goodnight? <laughs> he's sneaking a lifesaver. And not even Betsy will know he snuck it until he kisses her. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Lemon, got another lifesaver? Girls are why boys should always carry plenty of lifesavers. Savers and aphrodisiac. It's a whole new idea. Maybe it works, fellas. And you boil up a nice pot of lifesavers. Oh, listen, I'll tell you. There's some powerful aphrodisiacs around. Powerful. 
And uh, by the way, I'd like to point out one of the most effective of all the aphrodisiacs. You know, you know the one the one group of people. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this off the record here. The one group of people in this world who have made a four thousand year study of aphrodisiacs are the mysterious, inscrutable Chinese. Did you know that? Now I ain't making no claims, except to say that if you take your chick down to the House of Chan, Fifty Second Street and Seventh Avenue and you order the right things off the menu, maybe that evening is going to fall together like a deck of cards. You're going to draw a royal flush. <laughs> and the meals, what's more, what's more interesting, you know, is that they're reasonable meals. You know, they could charge a lot for a thing like this. They're not saying nothing. But that when you go in, you ask for Stanley. And you say, Stanley, uh, the real thing. I have to say it that way. That's the Chinese way of saying it. The real thing. And, uh, by God, he'll lay it on you. So this is the House of Chan, 7th Avenue and 52nd Street. And you'll know it's beginning to work when your nose starts to sweat. Magnificent Chinese food opens seven days a week till midnight. And if you're going to a show, you know, like you're going to an opening of a big, uh, uh, you know, a big uh, skin flick or something like that, well, you tell them you got to make the show, see, and they'll whip that stuff on you real fast. But uh, you tell them you know, Shepard, you know, it's work out okay. That's 52nd and 7th Avenue, the House of Chan. <laughs> all right, that's all. That's a who's Chan. Smart guy, that's a terrible business. You heard of Charlie. You ever wonder what happened to Charlie when he left the movies? Yeah, he's running that joint down there, fatter than a pig, walking around, belching, eating. But uh, by God, he turns out a good wonton soup, I'll tell you that. You know, you can write home with that soup, friend. Invisible ink. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to push it too hard, you know, because I, I, I had a traumatic experience here about, uh, oh, about uh, you know, about uh, 12 hours ago. And it hasn't worn off yet, see. I was over there visiting this friend of mine, and uh, it's out, out in the suburbs, see. And we go in through this. It's colder than a well diggers, you know what, you know? Really mean cold. What is it? It's not a tip of my tongue. It's an expression. Any of you know that expression? Colder than a well digger's. Uh, Knee? No, it's not a knee. No, it's right on, the, right on the tip of my tongue. I hate to forget uh, an old uh, folk expression like that because it's part of our culture, and you you just don't want to lose your own culture. Uh, the it's colder than I. Oh, darn it! Oh golly, gee whiz! It's on the tip of my tongue. Shucks! Uh, but it was that kind of cold, and uh, in fact, this guy come up to me and he says, "Hey, listen," he says. I got some brass monkeys here. And I said, really? He said, yeah, they're talking in awful high voices. You know, it's awful cold. And uh, I didn't know what he meant. Uh, I said, brass monkeys? He said, yeah. He said, they make nice bookends. And I said, oh, do they? And he said, yeah, come over here. And this brass monkey walked up squeaking and hollering, you know, and he was flouncing all around. It was terrible. Wearing little pink shoes. Made a, Oh, it was awful. I hate to be propositioned by a brass monkey. Uh, sickening. But, uh, you know, you have to accept life for what it is, right? And I'm walking in through the doorway there, see, uh, of this uh, supermarket with my friend. I occasionally go into a supermarket, you know, trying to pass for, you know, a real person. Stand around and back then look at the Chinese uh, taco, Mexican, uh, Italian TV dinners. And uh, I walk through the back there, and this little kid is standing there, see, right by the door. And he's shaking and shivering, and he's got this can in his hand. And he's holding it out, see, a little can with a, with a slim on the top. And he's making a sort of mewing sound. 
<laughs> and they said, uh, hey, wait a minute, Frank. He says, this kid here seems to be sinking slowly in the West. I said, hey, kid, what's up? <laughs> and I see he's in his mewing sound, a little tear in the eye, you know. He's a bad-looking kid, and the wind is blowing. He's wearing a dumpy-looking uniform with a, what looked like a shaving brush on the top of his head. And uh, I says, for God's sakes, Frank, wait a minute. And he said, come on, come on. I says, Frank, don't bother me. I want to talk to this kid. I looked at the kid, and I saw what he's got. He's got a, he's got a can. And on the outside, it says, Watchung Band Uniform Tag Day. It's Tag Day. I said, uh, well, come on, kid. I said, sell me a tag. <laughs> I said, oh, God. I says, come on, kid. Get that can out there. Hold it out. I want you to see that can. I want to see that can out there. Rattle it. <laughs> I said, what instrument do you play, kid? <laughs> I said, what instrument do you play, kid? You're in a band, right? And you're selling tags, right? Straighten up. Come on. I hate to see a guy slump in a uniform. Straighten up. Pull in that gut. Thank God, if your first sergeant was around here, he'd bust you right down to a piccolo player or something. Now, stand up. Mm. I said, I ain't going to buy no tag from this kid. And I walked in to the Publix without buying a tag. Humbug, I said. Bah, humbug. You're listening to Scrooge himself. Well, I want to tell you. You know why I did it to this kid? I want to tell you this. When I was a freshman... In high school, one of the absolutely most hellish experiences I ever had in my entire life, not only just as a freshman, came about one Saturday, fantastic, oh, it went up for about a week. It was a Saturday. It had been prefaced by the day before. The entire band that I was in, I was a sousaphone player, in case you're curious. I was a double B-flat sousaphone player which is not the same as an E-flat sousaphone player. No, indeed. It's the difference between a 747 pilot and a guy who, you know, fiddles around a patch in a Piper Cub. I was, I was, I was blowing a big one. And that's the, that's the double B-flat four-vel sousaphone. Yep, four-vel. And uh, that's different. And most of them are three-valves. It's a four-valver. And uh, you could really bottom out in that baby, I want to tell you. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sitting on the stage that day. It was a Friday. We're having band practice, and that we've gone through the overture to Norma, and that we've played, uh, you know, such such old-time favorites as uh, <laughs> Pomp and Circumstance and various other, uh, you know, various other uh, things that, uh, yeah, I, I can still sing the overture to Norma. Now, I, I, I wouldn't inflict it on you, but I can sing the entire double B-flat bass part to the overture of Norma. And by the way, that reminds me uh, did you ever hear the joke about the bass players? And I, I don't tell you jokes much, but there's a classic joke that all bass players tell about. And and uh, <laughs> he says, uh, guy says, uh, you know, these two bass players for years they've been playing, they've been playing in the uh, in this great symphony orchestra. And uh, so one day one of them gets a day off, and he takes the day off, and uh, he, he he's gone. He, he's not there that day, and so. The next day, when his friend Sam sees him, Sam says, uh, how did you like your day off, Henry? What did you do? And Henry says, I went to the opera. He says, I went, I, 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 I sat out there in the, in the audience. And he says, you know, it was fantastic. Really fantastic. 
And Henry says, what do you mean, fantastic? What, what, uh, what, what was so fantastic about it? You heard music? He says, no, wait a minute. It was fantastic. I was in the audience. He says, you know that? He says, you know, in Carmen? You, you know Carmen? He says, you know that tune? You wouldn't believe it. It goes, da, 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 da. He says, I never knew that. Well, that's true, friends. Each man has his tiny part to play in the vast orchestra of life. And you will never understand what all those guys way up in the front that are playing trombones are playing. And they will never understand what you're playing, way in the back there, sitting there huddled under your double B-flat sousaphone. That I can tell you every note of the overture to Norma, the bass part. Now, if you're curious what the second or the andante movement goes like, in the overture to Norma? I'm sure you are. But I'll tell you what the bass part. The bass part starts out with a single B-flat note held for four bars. It goes... Beautiful. That is beautiful. Now, I don't know what the hell the rest of the band and the orchestra is doing at that time, but I know what me and Dunker and Schwartz and, and, uh, and uh, Ernie Roller were playing. That was what we were playing. And so we're all out there practicing. We're sitting on the stage. And by the way, for those of you who wonder, that we had two orchestras and two bands in our school. There was an orchestra, and, a, you know, the orchestra was a string group, a string and the, you know, mixed and all. And the band was a band, and it was a concert band. Then the third group that we had was the marching band. Now, the marching band was not necessarily the same people. <laughs> not at all. And so, so only in my freshman year did I play in the marching band, due to the fact that I was out for football, and I played football the rest of the time. And it's very hard, you know, to change your uniform between the halves and get out of your, you know, get out of your jock strap and all the rest of it to strap on your band suit and put your horn on and go out and do the Semper Fidelis overture, you know? No way. So, uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, here I am sitting up there, and I'm, I, little I realize that I'm about to be introduced into a world that I, I would never I would never have known about had it not been for our director. Standing in front of the band, he says, all right, boys and girls, you know, he taps on the, taps on the music stand. Well, uh, this is the day that uh, I've, I've uh, been looking forward to for some time, boys and girls, and I want all of you in the bass section to listen carefully to this. Tomorrow is Tag Day. Now, as you probably know, we've been planning to get new uniforms for the band. And there's only one way we're going to get new uniforms for the band, and that is if we raise enough money for Tag Day. Now, each one of you tomorrow will be dressed in your uniform. We will meet in front of the main, the main gate outside of the high school auditorium. We will meet right outside the auditorium, right in front of the main door, at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning, you will be dressed in your uniform. At that point, you will all be given cans, and we will drive you to the places where you will be on duty during tag day. We will pick all of you up tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Well, you know, I'm sitting in the back. I says, oh, you know, kind of great. And I didn't realize what, what I was letting myself in for. Now, have you ever... You, I just want to ask you, George, personally, have you ever stood on a street corner with a can in your hand with a slit in the top? 
You have never done this. Yet all of us have seen people doing it. I have done it. And I want to tell you, it was a fantastically educational experience. I want to tell you, was it educational? It was, it was really... So, so at 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm you know, tired and sleepy, and I, I feel rotten. It's Saturday, and, uh, you know, Saturday's always a groovy day, but here it is. It's Saturday, and I'm, gonna, you know, I'm going to school on Saturday. And so Saturday morning, about, you know, we're all gathering in front of the high school auditorium, and it's really funny. All the kids you'd see all during the week looked very different at 6 o'clock in the morning. The girls looked like they were made out of cream of wheat, you know, they're standing around. And a, a guy's, you know, everybody's real quiet and silent. We're standing right outside of the auditorium. And up drives the school truck. They had this panel truck. It was the truck that the band used to transport all the drums and all that jazz around whenever we played concerts. The truck drove up. And out of the truck, about five guys who worked for the band, various types, you know, toady types, jumped out, and they had big cardboard boxes full of cans with the traditional purple and white insignia of the school that I attended. By the way, did you know this? What was the school colors of your school? Purple and white? Blue and white? Maroon? Maroon and what? Maroon and white? Well, that's a pretty good combination. Ours was purple and white. Now, I don't know whether you know anything about purple, but there's no color that fades quicker than purple. I mean, you get yourself a purple purple sweater, which everybody bought. You know, they got a purple sweater. And it, for about five days, you got a purple sweater. After that, you got a multicolored paisley sweater. <laughs> you know, all that. And, and any time the, the sweater would get wet or, or, you know, you'd sweat or anything like that, you'd get purple all over your all over your shorts and your underwear. And your, oh, you know. But the, that was our color, see, purple and white. So we had this purple and white can, and it had a wildcat. On the, on the outside, that was our school, you know, our school animal, a wildcat, see. And there was a, yeah, it was a wildcat sort of roaring, you know, you could see his face, ah! Well, there was the wildcats, purple and white. So each one of us gets a can. And uh, we pile them back in a truck, and uh, they, they, they take us in sections. All right, you kids, all you guys, you kids over here, from over here on, you come on, let's get in the truck. The rest of you wait here, we'll be back in five minutes. So we pile in the truck, and they drive us, down the streets at 6 o'clock in the morning, there's nobody out yet at all, you know? And and they're dropping us off on each, you know, corner. We'd go along, the guy said, okay, uh, you and Schwartz, you go over there. All right, you're over there in front of the gas station over there. Yeah, down by State Street. Okay, right over there. Come on, let's go. Move. Come on. So I jump out of the truck. This is my first introduction, by the way, into Army life. <laughs> there's a great parallel between many bands and Army life. So he says, all right, you guys, over there. So we run over, and we're standing now in front of the, the Shell Station, on the, this main street, and there were a couple of hardware stores and a bar and a couple of joints all around there, see, but not a single person. We go out and wait. Schwartz is looking one way, I'm looking the other way. We each got a can. Now, we're supposed to wait and, and you know, hit people up to buy a tag. We had a whole bunch of these tags, purple and white tags. It's this is tag day. And it is about 15 below zero. I mean, me. I mean, I mean aggressive me. I mean, this was... Uh, any of you who know anything about uh, the the, uh, the temperatures in northern Indiana and Illinois know that that is a dynamic 15 below zero or 10 below or 5 below. It doesn't just... Going right down the middle of Lake Michigan. 
that had come all the way from the Arctic Circle. In fact, probably was sent directly by the North Pole. If you know anything about your map, take a look. If you've seen the map, you know, and, and Lake Michigan hangs down there like a gigantic overripe uh, gourd, you know, sort of hangs down there. Well, that that lake is like an enormous flue, like a, like a flue of a fireplace. And it stretches straight north. And that's why Chicago is called the Windy City, because Chicago's right down at the bottom of that flue. And when, when the conditions are right, due to the difference in temperature between the land temperature and the water temperature, you get a wind that just goes... Oh, it never stops. It just blows right down out of Canada. I'm telling you, pine needles go past you. They have not hit the ground for 700 miles, you know? Once in a while, a bobcat flies past. He's coming down all the way from Alberta or someplace, you know? But we're standing there, and we're wearing our band uniform, and I had on this purple and white... <laughs> earmuffs, you know, these fluffy earmuffs. We had high school earmuffs, purple and white with a big H, you know. And we're in earmuffs. Ooh, the wind is blowing. Well, at first, I was excited. See, this is a whole new experience. I'm out there with a can, and I've got a, a, a whole handful of tags, and, you know, it's a whole big adventure. Well, about 20 minutes go by, and not one single person has walked past where we are. <laughs> there ain't nobody out there, man. And, and now it's about quarter to eight. And it, the time starts to drag slower and slower. The car would go past. And, you know, a cloud of steam. The temperature's dropped another five degrees. It's tag day. And finally, over on the corner, there was a place called the Red Eagle Bar. This guy comes staggering out of the Red Eagle Bar. I, I can't tell at this point even now whether he was left over from the night before or, uh, you know, he was, <laughs> he was a holdover from Friday night. <laughs> and the guy that cleans up come in and found him there under the table and thrown him out, you know, <laughs> or or whether he whether he was just the guy that was first on the stand there, you know, when the tavern opened at four o'clock in the morning, he got a snoot for him and came out then. I don't know, but he comes staggering around and he walks across at a diagonal across the street. See, well, he was on he was on Schwartz's side, so that was our first customer today. He walks past, see, he's staggering on the street. Schwartz says, "Excuse me, excuse me, sir." A tag day, tag day. He said, what the hell you want, kid? And Schwartz says, tag day, tag day, sir. Find new uniforms with a hammer high band. <laughs> and that, with that, he staggered to a stop, and the wind is blowing, and the guy threw up all over Schwartz. Our first customer heaved all over Schwartz. About 14 quarts of used Schlitz. And there was Schwartz standing in the wind, blowing, you know, and the guy's like, oh, I wake up. And he goes staggering off down the alley. Well, that was our first customer. And so Schwartz <laughs> runs, into the, runs into the shell station, into the john, <laughs> and they're pouring water out of him, you know, they get him all soaked up. In the meantime, I'm standing out there waiting for my first one. Along comes a lady, and she's got a shopping bag, one of these net, you know. There's always a lot of little old ladies walking around that wear funny hats that look like pots. And, you know, that type, I think they were born roughly at the age of 76. And, you know, the kind, you can't imagine them ever being young. And they always had these shopping bags that appear to be filled with large petrified bones or something and papers sticking out. See? So this old lady comes walking along with a shopping bag. She's moving up, you know, against the wind. <sighs> wind is blowing. See, I says, excuse me, madam. Uh, excuse me, madam. It's, it's tag day. She get out of my way. I says, it's tag day, madam. She says, I'll call the police. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, she figures, you know, <laughs> I'll call the police. 
Well, at that point, you know, I could see it's going to be a long, mean day. Well, it is now about 8.30. We have not gotten rid of one damn tag. Schwartz smells like about, you know, like four-week-old vomit. And, and, and we're getting colder by the minute. Well, at that point, the crowd started to come out. Crowd, you know, maybe four or five people go by in an hour. I mean, after all, they're not coming out. It's Saturday morning. The temperature is now laying at about 12, 15 below. The wind is 45 degrees coming out of the south, you know, screaming down that lake street. Well, my God, I'm standing on the corner, huddled now. I'm huddled next to a streetlight, trying to get out of the wind. When I hear this tink, somebody put a coin in my can, and I didn't even know it. I didn't hit him. I was just standing there, dumb. You know, I didn't even see him. Come up from behind me. It was a, well, it was really a deflection shot. He came up from behind me and just pointed in the can, see? And I turn around, I see this guy going away. See, and I rattled up and down, and I, yeah, I got a can. See, well, you're not supposed to open these things, see? So I open it out. It's Canadian dime. Well, Canadian dimes do not go over big in Hammond, Indiana. So I got a, my first customer has laid a Canadian dime on me, so I put the top back on it. Well, the day went on. It went. It got colder and colder. And now it is about 7 o'clock at night, Saturday night. Everybody's in town, and me and Schwartz are working the crowd as fast as we can work. By 9 o'clock that night, I had gotten rid of roughly 12 tags at an average of three and a half cents a tag. You know, whatever you put in there. And I'm, I'm really down, you know. I've, I've, I've shaken my can. I've shaken my can. And nothing's happening. And then along comes Jack Morton. Jack Morton, by the way, I might add. Every, this is the thing the males know about. I don't know whether girls have the same thing. I, I, they must have it in their class. There must be a super girl to all the other girls. Uh, uh, do you think this is true? Do you think? Do you think Judy would agree to that? That in every class there's a super girl to the girl. Now she ain't maybe super to all the to the male types, but she's a super girl. She does it all. When she plays volleyball, she shows that ball right down your gut. You know, when she when she goes out, she goes out. See, well, all the males will agree that in, that every every class that you've ever been in, there is the super male. Well, Jack Morton, at the age of probably nine, was six feet seven, had already gotten offers from the from the Knicks, the Chicago Bears, had the three scholarships, you know, from Notre Dame all the way through Harvard, and that he was, you know, tall and bronze, and he he played. And and, and are you aware that within dance there's a hierarchy? That the that the that the tuba players, the sousaphone players, really, are kind of the buffoons. They're in battle. And, and, and nobody quite knows why. It's a difficult instrument to play. In fact, uh, some of my more difficult artistic moments have been spent attempting to play the coda, the Semper Fidelis, in a high wind, when the horn is playing you back. And it's, it's, a, it's a difficult instrument to play. Uh, and, and for that reason, it's, uh, tuba and sousaphone players are lonely men. They're, they're very close to a kind of a... Uh, it's, it's a monkish dedication. Well, within the band, there are the various hierarchies. And, and the French horn players, for example, are almost untouchable. It's a mysterious instrument. No one knows why anyone would want to play it. It's an ugly-sounding instrument, and it's basically masochistic. The trombone players, they too, but the trombone players are lovable. Somehow people like a guy that plays a trombone. 
The idea of a thing that slides, it goes quack, 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 you know. This is lovable. And the trombone players are generally lovable extroverts. But the, but the real, the, the real creme de la creme of the, of the band, of any band, are the trumpet section. Do you agree? These, these guys, and Jack Morton played a trumpet. He had more medals on his chest. This guy was a state champion trumpet player. He was also a very accomplished baton twirler. He made the scene with every chick in every school he was ever in, every chick, including every teacher on the faculty. This guy made it in every possible direction. He comes down the street with me and Schwartz standing on the street corner at 15 below zero. I have sold 12 tags. Schwartz has gotten rid of eight. He comes down the street saying, Hey, you guys, where can I get another can? This one's filled. Jack Morton was filling up cans with money faster than he could get cans. It was then I realized that talent is talent. Talent is talent. And that, they, and, and, and that the art of money raising is a major talent. I have... <laughs> so, at the end of the day, 10 o'clock, I was ashamed. I put my can in the, in the bank... And they counted my, my money out. They actually counted it out right in front of you. I had a dollar seventeen. My entire day at the at the stand. Schwartz had something like a dollar twelve. Jack Morton turned in over seven hundred bucks. More money than the entire bass section, the trombone section, and the drum section combined. Well, that wasn't the end of the story. Not by a damn long shot. The other day, when I walked past that kid standing in the standing in the doorway to the Publix there, with his claw hanging onto that tag, hanging onto that can, I saw for one brief instant why I didn't make it. I was an apologetic money raiser. It embarrassed me. <laughs> it embarrassed me to, to to put the bug on people's, you know, and grab them by the elbow. Some people are born salesmen. I mean, can you imagine? No, seriously, think of yourself now. Can you imagine going up to a, to a house and knocking on the door and selling something to somebody? Seriously, think about it. Can you do it? You can. That's right. You probably could. But there are the rest of us who will never be able to quite do that. Here I was at the age of, of, of 13 in the trial, in the base section of the band, already a Willie Loman. Already, please, would you buy a tag, sir? Please, please. Just, just one tag. I don't care. Just anything. Put anything in the can, please. One tag. And they walk away with a, with a disdainful look. Get out of here, kid. And walk right down the block. 200 yards and put $5 in Jack Morton's can. Because he came on with the imperious, the, the, the great charisma of a born salesman. Sir, here's your tag. There's no way he could go. And so out there the wind blows and it howls out of the cold north. Yes, and it strips you right down to the bare bones of reality. It's a hard world, kid. Some got it and some ain't. And if you ain't got it, you ain't gonna get it. That's the hardest thing to understand. And if you got it, there ain't no way to lose it. 
like my mother used to say. Yep, used to say. Them has got it, gonna get more. Them ain't got nothing, are gonna have less. And that's the way it goes.